Greetings to the brightest audience in the country, and welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from a Christian worldview. But today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyart as we explore the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong to get our kids to bear the burden of our economic comforts. It's wrong. So it's so simple. But... That is not a topic that seems to be popular among the Christian ministries that deal with public policy. And most Christian ministries don't have anything to do with public policy. You know, the the side issues that God is not very concerned about, the you know, things that are hardly ever mentioned in the Bible, like do not murder do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness. Those issues that seem to be mostly ignored, sadly. But they are replaced by some far more important issues like tithing and the building program and attendance records. So you could see some of my frustration where Paul wants us, urges us, whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, meditate, dwell on these things, study these things. Now, in the last study, we recounted the verses in which Paul spoke of himself as an example, as a pattern. And he comes to the end of writing to the Philippians, again saying in verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul presented himself as a pattern, as an example, because the 2,000 years before his ministry had to do with circumcision and the Mosaic law eventually. Started with circumcision with Abraham. And then they had the Sabbath. And the feast. And Paul said that Christ told him, do not have your converts circumcise themselves. Do not keep the feasts. I fear for you because you're doing those things which were part of the Mosaic law. Don't. We are now under the gospel of grace. So Paul, here he is, still presenting himself as the pattern, the example, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do those things. And the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So more recently, the Philippians were sending aid to Paul to encourage him in the very difficult time that he was going through. And verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need so whether i'm flush with cash 
or all my money has been flushed down the drain. Either way, I should be able to celebrate the opportunity that God has given me to obey him and to reach others. You know, the greatest service could be cleaning the bathrooms. That could be the greatest service. That could be what God wants of someone at some time. And somebody might say, you know what? That's beneath me. I'm not going to clean the bathrooms. That's somebody else's job. But the scripture tells us if you're faithful in what is least, you could be entrusted with what is great. But if you're not faithful in what is least, how can God trust you with what is significant? The Lord will exalt those who are humbled and he will humble those who are exalted. So which is it that you want God to do for you, to you? You want him to humble you or to exalt you? I'd much rather God not come and say, all right, Bob, this is it. It's time for you to be humbled. I'd rather that not be the case. So we learn humility from Jesus Christ so that we will serve others. So I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Recently, there was Pastor Appreciation Month and that's uh, usually uh, one Sunday during that month. The church will get together and give Cheryl and I a gift of some type and it's a very awkward thing for me. I'm uncomfortable with that. And the Sutherlands joked that the, everybody chipped in and gave us a gift certificate and wanted to give us a certificate to our favorite restaurant. They said, Bob, we didn't know what your favorite restaurant was, whether it was Maggiano's or the Conoco station where you get a burrito. <laughs> My sister came into town, Susan, a long time ago. And I said, Sue, I got a great place. Uh, we could get some lunch. She said, oh, good, I'm so hungry. And I drove into a Conoco gas station. She said, what are we doing here? I said, well, they just got great food here. She said, get out of here. I am not going to eat in that gas station. I couldn't quite process it, you know, but uh, she was my sister. So we had to drive away. Girls, yeah, girls. But whether it's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or the hot dog stand downtown or Maggiano's Little Italy or a local gas station where you can get a burrito, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, to honor God, obey God, whatever the opportunity. You know, our church is often engaged publicly, politically, and so sometimes there's anger leveled at our church. Channel 7, Denver's ABC affiliate, Quoted me briefly a soundbite on Thursday night about the atheists putting up billboards, 10 billboards around Denver, saying, don't believe in God, you're not alone. So we took one of those billboards and Photoshop, we changed it, and we added signed God, as though it's God who's saying, look, you don't believe in me? Come on, people, you're not alone, I'm here. And so it's funny, you know, to reposition their money, they spend five grand on billboards and we let people know that there's a different message there. Just look more carefully. But there are atheists all over the country because of the internet who watch that video on that 7 News cast and they read the story and they find out uh, 
Pastor Bob Enyard. He says, look at the evidence. There's no evidence. And they get angry. And so because of Google alerts, you know, they are big brother. They're taking over the world. They send me an email wherever my name pops up on a news story or a blog. And so they'll say, this is Bob Enyard. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just a jerk. Da, da, da. And so I'll register on their blog and I'll post. And I'll say, hi, this is Bob Enyard. Some guy's in Tennessee, you know. Hi, this is Bob Enyard. Why'd you say this? Here's the evidence. And they say, oh, we didn't think you'd read this blog. And so it's opportunity to talk. So whatever, if they attack us, there's an opportunity to share the gospel. This morning, a young man named Eric, whose family is from Kenya, his mother was born in Kenya. He's a teenager, a rebellious sort, troublemaker, like so many teenagers. And he's come to church a few times. And after church, some of us were outside talking about how God created this beautiful world we live in. And he was standing a few feet away, but he was listening. And he came over. Judy was there with us. She's here now. And Judy said, you know, wouldn't it be nice for us to pray? And we prayed. And then Eric held hands and we held hands in a circle. Then after everyone went away, he was lingering. I said, Eric, what do you... Do you want to pray? He said, yeah, I want to pray. I said, do you, do you want to trust in Christ to save you? He said, yeah, I want to believe. And so we talked and we prayed. And who knows how the Lord works, right, Judy? You were moved to say, let's pray. We're celebrating God. And here's a young man who humbled himself enough to tell someone else, I think I need a Savior. So... Whether people are attacking us, whether we're flush with cash, which happens every, what, four or five months? No, I guess that hasn't really ever happened. Uh, Whether we have a lot of excess financial resources, whether we're working on a threadbare budget, we serve the Lord. We praise the Lord. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ does strengthen us. We have uh, a guy who's, uh, can I call him a young man? He's not quite a young man. He got in big trouble when he was a young man and uh, ended up going to prison for many, many years. And he's now contacted our church and He'd like to. He's out of jail. And another pastor who's very familiar with our ministry said, called up, said, Pastor Bob, this guy's in your neighborhood and I want to attest that I believe this man's Christianity, which he's now practiced for many years in jail, in prison, is sincere. And so we're thrilled to have that opportunity to reach out to that man but in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What God can do through us and the people that he can reach is one thing. That's an extraordinary honor and it's humbling. But I think God is even more interested in what he's doing in us than through us. First, he wants to conform us to the image of his son. When I say first, I don't mean chronologically. Chronologically. I mean, as a priority, 
His top priority is that we become Christ-like. Secondly, that we reach others. So love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God really will work wonders in me and then through me if I let him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can jump to the moon. I can't do that. I can evangelize the devil and save his soul. As one guy in high school came up to me, Christian guy, he said, Bob, I have such a plan. I know you're a Christian. Let's start a prayer meeting. Let's pray to save the devil. We'll save the devil. And I remember saying to this guy, you know what? I'm thrilled you want to serve the Lord, but I don't think that's a good use of your time. Let's not try to save the devil, uh, but let's try to save our neighbor. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Make another God. If I think we need another God, just make another God. No. That's a figure of speech as we talked through in our last class. The Bible uses the word all hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And it's typically a figure of speech. And so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is, all the things I need to do, I can do. There's never a time when I need to do something that I can't do it. And to us, our needs are not necessarily what God would think of as our needs. Our needs, our true needs, are to obey him, to obey God. So if I'm getting in an accident, if I'm getting fired from a job, if I'm ill, whatever, and I think, oh, I need to recover. I'm sick, I need to recover. Well, not really. You may die. You may die. But what you need to do is to trust Christ and be an example of his followers, of one of, be an example of a follower of Christ, even in suffering, even in crisis, even in trials and tribulations. That's what we need to do, meaning that's the most important thing for us to do. And I could do all those things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14 Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. So Paul is writing, even though I can do all things, as a figure of speech, of course, such as suffer with so little, still I am thankful that you have come alongside to help me. So yes, I can do without your gift to the work of God through me. I can do without that. But I am thankful that you shared. In my work. And in my distress. Verse 15. Now you Philippians know. Also that in the beginning of the gospel. Notice that. I mean there are phrases like this. Throughout Paul's epistles. That are startling. And how blunt they are. And they don't fit in. To the theology of some denominations. But God gave to Paul the gospel of grace. Before that, we had the covenant of circumcision. We had the covenant of circumcision for 2,000 years. Jesus Christ came teaching the law. He came teaching the covenant of circumcision. He was circumcised. His apostles were circumcised. After he was crucified and was raised from the dead, the 12 apostles were still circumcising. Then 
God cuts off Israel in the book of Acts, saves Paul, grafts in the body of Christ, and tells Paul, no more circumcision. Circumcision is out. You can circumcise for other reasons, cultural or to reach the Jews who would be offended, but don't circumcise in obedience to that covenant that I have held in abeyance. That plan for Israel, they are the people of the law, they are the circumcision, that's no longer my program. So, with Paul, God gave to the world the gospel of grace. That's why Paul can say, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, what was the beginning of the gospel? Way back in the garden? Well, you can put it back there when Adam and Eve fell. That's when God said how he's going to begin to save those who would believe and repent. Or was it when God told Abraham that the nations would be blessed in Abraham's seed? Well, yeah, that's uh, the beginning of God's promise to save the world through the seed of Abraham. And David in Second Samuel 7, is that? Yeah, that's uh, the plan for God to send a king of Israel to save the world. And was it John the Baptist? Yeah, that's the beginning of that uh, earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And Christ on earth preaching the gospel? Yes, but he wasn't preaching, believe in my death and resurrection and you will be saved. He wasn't saying that at all. And the few times that he did tell his own disciples, the apostles, that he would be crucified and raised from the dead, he said, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. And he didn't have to tell them that because they didn't believe it anyway. The Gospels say they didn't understand it and they didn't believe it. Yet he sent them out to preach the Gospel. And they would go out. He'd send out the 12. Another time he sent out the 70. And they'd go out and they'd preach the Gospel and they'd come back. What were they talking about? They were not talking about the death and resurrection of the Messiah. They weren't talking about that. They were preaching the gospel of the circumcision, the covenant of circumcision. They were preaching what Abraham had been told. And so God cut off Israel for unbelief, not permanently, but temporarily because he'll graft them in after he's done working with the body of Christ sometime in the future. He cut off Israel and grafted in the body of Christ. And that is why Paul can say, in the beginning of the gospel, referring to his own ministry, when he began to go throughout Europe and preach throughout Asia and Europe, the Middle East, Asia Minor, the Middle East, and Southern Europe, and preach the gospel of grace. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. So in the beginning of the gospel, Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, I am the chief sinner. And for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show mercy as a pattern to those who will hereafter believe. Isn't that astounding? Paul says, I was the chief sinner because Paul is the one who fought for Israel to reject their resurrected Messiah. 
Paul succeeded. He succeeded. Israel rejected their resurrected Messiah. So he writes to Timothy, because I am the chief sinner, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Christ was patient, showed mercy as a pattern to those who will hereafter believe for eternal life. Those are extraordinary claims. Verse 16, Philippians 4.16. For even in Thessalonica, that is, even when Paul was in Thessalonica, which was a huge city compared to Philippi, the saints in the much smaller city of the Philippians sent aid once and again for my necessities. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, that's a sentiment I have a very hard time repeating. I have a very hard time urging people to give to our ministry so that you will be blessed. Now, that's true, but I have a hard time saying that. Other people can say that. It's good to say that. I have a hard time saying that. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Remember, we talked about Epaphroditus. His name means one loved by Aphrodite, and it also means handsome. It was a very common Roman name. And he was sent from Philippi with their gift to Paul, during his first Roman imprisonment. Epaphroditus labored for the Lord, had become ill almost unto death. Now verse 19, we're at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Wow. All our need. Everything we need to obey God he will supply to us. Sometime we may have a plan, a ministry idea to serve God, and we might quote this verse and say, God will provide the money to do X, Y, Z, and we're faithful and obey God, and the money comes, and maybe the ministry turns out to be a fiasco. It doesn't work. It was a bad idea. Other times, it might have been the most brilliant ministry idea and the greatest opportunity, and no money comes, and it never happens. That doesn't mean it wasn't God's will. That could mean that you didn't do a good job sharing the vision with others. It might mean you did a great job sharing the vision, but other people didn't like it. You know, the prophets and the apostles, they met resistance. Jesus Christ, he always said the right thing, but he didn't always get the best response. So... We need not to be superficial in our application of Bible verses. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What we need is to obey God. That's what we need to do, meaning that's the most important thing we can do. And through Christ, that will happen. Does that mean that no sincere Christian has ever died lacking medical supplies? 
Of course not. No Christian on the battlefield has never died because he couldn't get resupplied with ammunition. Of course it doesn't mean that. But the needs that we have that bring us to eternity with our Creator, those needs have been met by Jesus Christ. Verse 20, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Now, isn't that exciting? Paul made inroads. There are those of Caesar's household, the slaves, servants, dependents of Nero, who had probably been converted through Paul's teaching while he was still a prisoner in the Praetorian barracks in Rome that was attached to the palace. So Paul's a prisoner? So what an opportunity. I'll preach to the guards. And the guards are related to people who work in the palace and the gospel will flourish. Philippi was a Roman colony, so of course there could have been ties between the citizens of the mother city and those of the colony, and especially between those of both who were Christians, converted as many of them were by the same apostle and under like circumstances. So he who had been imprisoned at Philippi is now at Rome, and he's telling the Philippians, those in Caesar's household, they greet you. That's pretty neat. It's certainly not Caesar's household, but some of us have gone down to focus on the family. And we try to uh, preach the gospel in season, out of season, in jail, out of jail. And in the process of doing that, we ended up in a terrible spat with a leading journalist down in Colorado Springs. I don't want to give his name but he's a significant opinion maker in the Springs. He's Christian, pro-life, but sort of undercover. And so he wrote something about the personhood amendment that just frosted us. We were so enraged. And so Colorado Right to Life, Joe Riccobono, sent off a letter blasting this guy, just blasting him to kingdom come. And he got so angry And he responded, how dare you insult me? How dare you make these claims? He was angry. And Joe Riccobono wrote back and said, boy, I know you can express moral outrage. Look at the letter you just sent to us. But how is it that you treat the killing of unborn children as though it was just some passing irrelevant issue? And this guy, we ended up having lunch this past week at the private club down there, the El Paso Club, uh, four of us. And it was fabulous. Uh, This guy became clearly not putting on airs, but he was uh, uh, loving and gracious and sorry. He had misrepresented the crucial issue of killing unborn children. And he made a commitment. He wants to be long-term allies with us in this battle 
for the innocent and for the Lord. And so here you have people who are against you. They can't stand you. They're fighting. And you become allies in the Lord. And who can tell if we take a stand for God whether or not we'll reach yet another person. And so here's Paul, a prisoner, and he starts a ministry to Caesar's household. How can that be? With God, all things are possible. And to conclude, verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As Paul ends all of his epistles with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the apostle to the Gentiles to whom God committed the gospel of grace. And may God bless you all.